show everybody um i don't know if we have any major announcements but i do want to say we're getting real close to the bc con announcement but i'm not going to give those details just yet but yep. it's coming up in the neighborhood of june and we'll reveal the city and the tickets and the early bird stuff very soon and of course the bc club you'll get early bird access before that and then everybody else will hear that here so yeah I would go ahead and join the BC Club if you've been meaning to because they'll get both early access and early bird ticket price mm-hmm. uh, throughout. So you will it will be cheaper if you're in the BC Club. And then there'll be some spots open for the general public, and then the price will go probably up from there. So something like that. But pay yeah. attention to that. I'm very excited. We're very excited. It. Yeah, I, I can't. I, I mean, have we've a delayed in getting it going, but I'm we're right. on point now. It's going to be the biggest, best, most wonderful. It's going to be huge. Is what you're saying? Huge. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> it's basically it's basically going to be like a Christian rally. Or I yeah, oh know. yeah, well, oh yeah. Or maybe a we're ra- not Christian anymore. I don't even know what people think of us anymore. Whatever it is, it'll be a rally. It'll be a rally, yeah, oh yeah. Some type uh, of I have rally, a, I think. I have a thank you announcement. Um, lots of listeners last week uh, listened to the Daily Dose episode uh, where we talked about marriage supply some and had you know had some fun conversation with that. But I want to say thank you to everybody. The it, it's been really great. Lots of people have been going to marriage supply and purchasing products, and I just couldn't be more happy. Like I love getting to work on that. Like I have not made. One dime in a year on the whole side. And I've been working my tail off, but it's actually really neat. I just really enjoy the business of it. And I mean, we the we we took over some debt when we picked up this business because we believed in it so much that it was worth it. And I just and so I want to. It's really true. I really want to say thank you, all you listeners out there. Like, thank you for supporting that and supporting us and going there and and purchasing stuff. And I hope it's all working out great for you. And uh, one last thing, some people have written me and said. Ah, I want to order from there, but then you'll know what I order. I, I've tried almost every single thing. I haven't tried the Prostate Pro yet, but if that means you'll go there, I will try it. <laughs> if you'll go so to they'll Mary's know you've tried something. every single thing. Yeah. That way they don't have to feel ashamed yeah. that you might yeah. see their name and address. Now, I had something attached to that, now that you mention it, that was very funny. I yet Two days ago, we get packages all the time. Everybody gets packaged to the house. I got yeah. packaged... Two days ago, two pack a big package from you, taped from up me. with the shipping, the BC Supply shipping stuff, and Ooh. it was from Tiger Paul Shipping. And my kids just love opening packages, and I was like, I don't think, I think I need to open this. I don't know what's in here. You thought, he thought of me, and yeah, I thought Toby may have just nice. sending me out some new dildo products or lube or something. And I think I should probably open this, Georgie. Yeah, like, I don't think. Oh, no, Georgie. Let, let me, me open this one. It could be a present for you or something. I don't know. Let me see. You know, I don't. I couldn't figure out a good way to explain to Bridget 
off, you know, right. I couldn't think of how to handle. I was like, ah, I better just. But it was a, it was an emery vinyl, and a uh, I thought it was heavy. I was like, my gosh, if there's right. a, there's a lot of sex toys in here. But it was uh it was the emery books that oh, we got yeah, made, yeah. and they're just amazing. Like I don't know if people can buy those or where they are, but they're it's great. I mean, I have a book in my house of like the kid birth and uh, a photo book Bridget made for like our wedding, and they're yeah. really cool. And now there's this Emory book that like it's it'll be one of those that my grandkids That's awesome. will have. It'll be like our wedding right. and the birth of these kids in a book and dad's band in a book. I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe it means less to other people than me, but I found it really awesome. It's the first time I've got my hands on. And was it Sarah Stewart that did that? It sure yeah. was, uh, and she's in. In the BC Club, been in it for a while, but just a phenomenal artist. And even I'll even say that I mean, of course, the artwork is just phenomenal. But her brain, the way she sees things and creates, like she has one of my all-time favorite shirts she made for us too. It's our, it's it's our, it's a lyric shirt from uh, you know our lyrics. Uh, People want the truth, but never want the scars. And I just love the way it looks, the way she captures. I guess it helps me understand. Like I am so bad at drawing, and I think part of the problem there is may, maybe sometimes I can craft a story with my words but i can't craft a story drawing it and she does it's like more than just what you're seeing and you feel something about it and that's the way that i think these books like when when devin showed us what sarah had done i was like oh my god this is like one of the best things we've ever been associated with. <laughs> seriously it's, cool. it's that good so and i think you can get it at uh we've got about 25 left at bc.supply 25 BC. in stocks so you better go right now because those are going to be gone that's great. Okay, let's move on with the episode. But before we get going, I've got to tell you that today's show is sponsored by Joybird. That's one of the best ones out there. Joybird makes custom, customizable, one-of-a-kind furniture. Create furniture that matches your own fearless style at joybird.com slash badchristian25. That's joybird.com slash badchristian25. Okay, there we go. So what's going on, Toby, today? What are All we right. doing? So you know I struggle with uh, thinking, is this life real and, and our mortality no. and all that stuff? And I, no. uh, I came across this name uh, that has been in my life for a very long time. And it's been actually an important name in my life. And mm-hmm. I just thought about her mortality. And it, got, it led me down a dark trail. Okay, okay, so <laughs> you know how like when we were uh, first starting Emory and I'd go to Rotten.com to look at like terrible deaths and diseases mm-hmm. and all kinds of something. Th- there's something there that really attracts me, right? The stench, You've always had the morbid curiosity. The stench of death smells so sweet to me. I don't know why. I have never known why, but it's just there, right? So uh, the name is Betty White. <laughs> <laughs> I heard Betty White's name mentioned or something like that, and it was like, you know, somebody was saying something nice about her, and the first thought I had in my head is, I wonder what the over-under is that she will die this year. Like You, you what, wondered that. Yeah, like, like it seems like a pretty good odds. I wonder if you could even bet on that, right? So uh, I'm I, sure you can. Yeah. There well, has to be that. Well, I didn't find actually how much it was for her to die, but I found something even I thought was even crazier. So on mybookie.ag... It shows you it put it's like celebrity death matches, like who will actually die though, right? So the very first one was Betty White versus Carol Burnett. And I was like, oh, whoa, who wow. will die this year? And you can bet on it. So I need you to help me because I always mess this up. So Betty White is minus two sixty and Carol Burnett is plus two hundred. So mm-hmm. can you just quickly explain to me if I were to bet twenty dollars on Betty White, what does that mean? She's minus two sixty, Carol Burnett's plus two two hundred. Well, so that's not so that's the money line bet. Okay. Right? 
Does it say it that way? I mean, that's that's the money line bet. Yeah, it's, I think, it's, yes, it's, it does it's a pretty it. easy bet. It means that when you bet on something, um, it's not about like okay. So the sorry, I don't know if I've prepared to answer it exactly right. Sorry, but the there's the, the the main difference if you're talking about a football game would be the spread or the money line. Yeah. So the spread is when a team is favored by four points, so you have to subtract those points, and then it's an even bet, even money. Money line is the one where you're betting straight up, but the favorite pays less than the underdog. That's the simplest way I can put it. I see. If you bet on the Patriots, who are a huge favorite over the Browns, and you bet $100 on the bet, it doesn't pay as much if the Patriots win on that bet. If you if you bet the Browns, the underdog, the pay the payback from the bookie is much higher than the money you put in. You get paid odds, essentially. And so those money line, lines are, the, the minus and the plus are telling you what you get back for a, a bet. Does I that see. make sense? But I still don't understand what does it mean minus 200. Or Okay, so let's do it in exactly this case. Uh, right. So she's minus so, 260, and Carol Burnett is plus 200. Oh, so the minus is the favorite. Right. So so who's the favorite? Say, say it again. Betty White is minus 260. So she's more likely to die Might by Carol Burnett. that much, by that, that mathematical amount. So, you know, it's uh, – let's see. So I think you would – if you bet 100 – let me see if I can say it Sorry, right. I, don't I got know. you caught here. No, that's okay. If, if if you bet on the favorite, then you'll have to bet. That's what it is. If you bet on the favorite, you'll have to put up More that money. much money to get. You had to put. I uh, sorry, I forget the number again. One forty. Two negative two sixty. You got to put up two sixty to win the hundred bucks. That's okay. what that means. I, okay. You got to put up two sixty to win a hundred. I see. Because everybody thinks that's what's going to happen. Right. Okay. So if you want to win a hundred dollars, you got to put up two sixty for that, and then the other way for. Uh, Carol Burnett. All right, perfect. Okay, so can y'all y'all want to throw out any names of? Uh, I was like, who would be is going to die this year? Who's people that maybe you you don't care if they die or you assume they will because they're old or something like that? You know, I don't. I wouldn't want to do any death bets on young people or young stars, young famous people or whatever, or children. Why wow, like the that. payout would be so high? But, oh, it would be unbelievable. <laughs> I bet that that probably exists somewhere too, which is really yeah. sick. But. Who's somebody it's not sick for old people? Who's somebody that you wouldn't be surprised that they died and it wouldn't really bother you at this point? I'm just I saying. Made a list. Where 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 is it that it's not sad if old people die, but it is if young people die? Where, oh, I mean, that's my theory. You too. seem to draw a you, strong you distinction there. You have I don't different know. stages. If, a, if I, I, I've said that on the podcast a year or two ago, that there's different stages. Once you get to a certain age, nobody, everybody's like, oh, I was supposed. To, you know, it, they lived a good life. It's they, funny they to lucky, bet right? on Betty White, but yeah. it must be in the darkest corners of the dark web to bet on it, a. Teenager. It'll be kind of sad right? if Betty White dies, but you know it's probably about time. I mean, what is, how much longer is she going to have? You're not going to be surprised at all. And you're going to think, man, she's in a better place maybe or all but that. Do you feel you know? bad when you win the bet at least? Not, not if you win a lot of money. <laughs> if you win $100 on Betty White dying this year, I mean, we, we should, bad Christian, put, a, put money on that. Wouldn't, I, I would be, wouldn't she be happy if we won $100 and she died? I mean, it's or a, I think if that's she lived, a good test we didn't for who get it, is superstitious, though. I don't think a superstitious person like you would actually put the money on. Yeah, I think people would find it bad juju. So if you find the people that make those bets, they're either demented people or at least people that are very stably non-superstitious. That'd be my what I would say is interesting. Get out of here with that. Okay, do you got anybody that pops in your mind that everybody would think, yeah, maybe should die this year? <laughs> Should, should you mean is uh, likely to? Yeah, okay. Dude, whether or not it's sad. Let's just start with a should. Like, who's somebody you're like? Yeah, if they died, it's probably better. And maybe. 
Well, Can I mean, lots of people would be very happy if Trump died. So I'm sure that's on yep. there. I mean, Trump. he's old enough yep. to die. So what's the odds on him? Or Bernie? What's Trump and Bernie's odds of Donald dying? Trump? I mean, I think that's probably Vlad- a really good application of of death statistics before you put somebody in office. You should think about how Donald likely Trump they are to versus die. Vladimir Putin. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now I'm in. They're both minus one twenty. <laughs> so if you bet a hundred dollars, you win hundred and twenty dollars. Is that how that works? No, or you got to put up one twenty. One twenty. You got to put up one twenty. Okay. All right, how about this one? Uh, these these are the ones that came up in my that brain. Means that means it's close to like 50-50. Yeah. That's but a weird... just that one of them would die, but I mean, I guess that's... Just one oh, wait. Of them no, no, it's versus, right? It's versus not that they'll die other. this year. It's right. which one dies first. Who will die? No, but it's a wager cutoff is 2020, 31st of December at 11.59 p.m. Oh, okay. So at the end okay. of this year, it is this year, but it's versus this year. So, But if, if they both live, they both live, you get nothing, uh, or if the but other But you one, lose your money? Yeah, I think so. If they live, you, you lose your that money, That doesn't too. make total sense, but okay. Okay. Uh, they got Charlie Sheen versus Magic Johnson. <laughs> wow. Uh, these are all together, which I thought was it, like Jerry Lee Lewis, Woody Pretty Allen. Morbid. This is the one that I thought everybody's said. Bill Cosby. Mm, Roman definitely. Polanski, Jerry Sandusky, Harvey Weinstein. Oh, my gosh. Or okay. Subway Jerry. <laughs> They're all in one together. <laughs> and this is just people that were allowed to laugh about dying is the list. Yeah, I'm, you're right. I think you're reading. This, one, it's, this it's okay one actually made me sad. I love both yeah. these dudes, Regis Philbin or Bob Barker. Yeah, that's more sad. Uh, Regis Philbin's plus 105 and Bob Barker's minus 145. Some, there's Rosie O'Donnell or Roseanne Barr. It's against each other, pivoting against each other. Uh, this one was Demi Lovato versus Artie Lang. <laughs> okay, well, if you were, let's just say you were these people, wouldn't this be your best life insurance policy? If you could oh, get there? Yeah, to bet Because on then yourself. all you got to do is what, the day you get your diagnosis, you go bet the farm against yourself and your family's set. Right. Right? Right. Because nobody would, you'd be the only one with the info, so th- you've got the hottest tip of all. It's me, you would say. You're right. And- you have the insider tip. You know you've got stage three lymphoma. Oh, that's true. You go straight from the doctor, and you bet Bob Barker bets his whole fortune against himself oh. for the ultimate good of his progeny. Oh, wow. I didn't even think about that. You, you could just there's get somebody loophole. else to bet it for you. Right. And yeah. yeah, but wow. you'd have to maybe, you wouldn't really, be, I'm sure there's max bets. But Here's the ones that I wrote idea. down, the chances. Uh, they, I, when I first started thinking about this, I wrote down, who do I think has a good chance of dying this year? It was Betty White, Harvey Weinstein, Wein, yeah, Weinstein. Trump has a, I think Trump has a decent chance of dying, like of a heart attack or something crazy. You know what I mean? You've like, got to put assassination old. into the calculation. Oh, I didn't even think about that one. I, mean, I thought maybe one of the Rolling sure. Stones seems like that's about the time for mm-hmm. one of them to hit hit hard times. Uh, I wrote Bill Cosby, and then the last one I thought Reva. <laughs> 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 like Reva, just, you know, Reva. Nobody saw it coming. Maybe you're a little bit stressed. You know, you you know. You kind of you're in Nashville. <laughs> Stress induced. Matt, oh, what man. is the over under that Reva will die this year? Oh, it's a pl- it's 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 not very likely. I mean, you can look it up. I mean, it's the simple math. You can just look up the you, to make that calculation. You would yeah. you would uh, do the you would just figure out what the death rate is for people her age, and then you would modify it with. Things things you know about her to factor in in kind of some basic way. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. You would just you just factor in what where she above and below the baseline on other right. things, and that would get you pretty close to what it would be. But it's very very unlikely. All right. Well, that was my uh, my death thoughts. I go there and I can't <laughs> help it. it. Just some something about it lures me in when I think about like when you think about Betty White. It's just beloved by everybody. Mm-hmm. What a career. 
uh, you know, what a wonderful person, beautiful person. I mean, just, just phenomenal. She's in her, is she a hundred yet? She's probably very close to a hundred years old. Close. So, I don't think she's there. I mean, she's probably not there yet, but I mean, just phenomenal. So anyway, sorry. I think the, sorry with the all morbid the fascination is like not something to be afraid of, basically. I think it's something everybody has and you're more the person that'll talk about it. So yeah. I think that's, I think that's something to appreciate basically. So Okay, so we'll get our guest on in just a second. Her name is Ayla, and she'll be joining us on Skype, it looks like. But while she and Reva are getting that set up, making the necessary connections, I'm going to tell you about Joybird, which is one of my favorite sponsors we've had on the podcast. And it's also cool because they've been with us for a while now, which means you guys must be digging it. And some people must be getting some badass furniture. So... What I want you guys to do now is just think about it. Whether your style is a more mid-century modern or boho. I don't know if you know what boho style is, but Joybird's Instagram will give you a good sense of that. So this time, I'll tell you about it, but I want you to go check out their Instagram. It's a good spot to give you a, uh, I don't know, a daily dose, let's say, of what's trending in the homes of their customers, and you'll see if it's right for you. But with Joybird, your personal, one-of-a-kind style should match your furniture. That's something that, that they say, and that, man, do I like it. I find myself to be the kind of person who's always looking to customize my environment. Furniture, additionally, sometimes I make furniture for that reason. So with Joybird, is great. You can bring your mood boards to life with hundreds of customizable pieces and over 50 fabric options. Whether you're more of a neutral beige, bubblegum pink, whatever, it's built by them, created by you. So if you need a sofa, if you need a love seat, anything that they have, you can customize it. They offer a range of kid and pet-friendly upholstery options so that your creations stand the test of time. They've got free fabric swatches that are available for you to see and touch the fabrics and help you make the right choice. And they even have personal design consultants that's free to help you go from inspiration to creation. It's handcrafted quality furniture. It's made with care and precision, with real wood, and without those harmful chemicals, and they use responsibly sourced materials. So this stuff is all great. There's a 365-day home trial. You can skip the furniture store and bring the showroom home. You can sit on it, sleep on it, break it in. If you don't love your Joybird, return it. They stand by their quality and craftsmanship, and if it's not everything you hoped and dreamed for, then you just send it back, and they've got free returns within two weeks of delivery. That's terrific. So create the furniture that matches your own fearless style at joybird.com slash badchristian25. See how Joybird can help make your dream space a reality today at joybird.com slash badchristian25. Go to joybird.com slash badchristian25 and receive an exclusive offer for 25% off your first order by using the code badchristian25. Okay. Um, okay. Well, I believe we are ready for our guest. I think she's on there. Ayla, can you hear us? I can. Excellent. I'm glad you're on the show. I'm going to tell you guys, this one's slightly unconventional, I guess. Um, I, uh, I don't know exactly what all we're going to talk about, but I do, I want to do something that's just a little bit more exploration, I guess. And that, uh, I, I, you're somebody that I've been following on Twitter and I can't remember how I found you on Twitter or began following you, but it's just something in the nature of, uh, the rationality community, probably. I probably just found some people in that. Do you think of yourself as in the rationality community? Does that sound right? Sorry about that. My uh, Skype cut out for a second. Um, but what I heard is you found me uh, through the rationality community. I think so. Yes. Does that sound correct? I can't remember how I initially started following you on Twitter. Yeah, that sounds correct. I uh, 
am heavily involved with the rationality community, though, of course, like everyone, I don't like self-identifying as a rationalist. Okay. See, that's the funny thing about it is we come from stuff like where we identify as Christian and then hyper-Christian, evangelical, and we like to join cults, basically, is the, the tendency that I have. And I'm trying to not do that. So uh, rationality would be a cult I would join in a heartbeat now, but I'm trying not to join more cults. So I'm I'm glad that, that that's like that's built into the fabric that's of rationality. Good. Yeah, because rationality is like slightly cult prone. So it's good to kind of stay away from it. Isn't it kind of cult prone? Like it that's is. the thing, you know, and that's I just don't think people like to look at stuff that way, but I'm I'm I'd rather go ahead and get it out there and then avoid it. I'm smart. <laughs> and so I I just had seen you doing that, and what I noticed is that you're always doing stuff that just seems like it's bumping up against taboos, basically. That's and correct, so yeah. I just I just appreciate that so much. I am the kind of person that's unintentionally stepped on taboos my whole life. That basically is what it always feels like to be me. And I and I'll say, Well what why can't we talk about why can't we talk about it then? You know, kind of a thing. So whenever I see somebody actively pushing at taboos I love it. I just feel comfortable, and I don't even know how to explain it. But uh, I saw you had a, a tweet the other day. Uh, you do a lot of research-type things where you're asking questions and surveys, and I'm always so tempted to do it, and I always feel like, oh, if I say that I'm this, is it, can people see my answer? But I really want to see the answers of the other people on your surveys. Um, and, <laughs> and so I've been seeing it, how you've been doing bestiality questions and sexual questions, stuff that's just way out there and just loving it because of the introspection that it causes. And then I usually answer them and see what the results are. I'm not really that afraid of that, but I get that second of panic right there when I do. And then I saw you had a, tw- a tweet the other day where you said something about this whole th- the the bestiality thing kind of blew up in a way, and people started thinking that you're the bestiality person on Twitter, and right. it, and so you had a little thread, and in there somewhere it said something about radical transparency. Your impulse is always to be something like radically transparent as you can, and you found some kind of limit here, and uh, you, you've run into some kind of limit where it, by by being that way, there could cause harm or something back to you, and I am just completely fascinated with exactly that point and i'm sorry to talk so much here at the open um but it uh and then i said we got we have to get her on the podcast can toby can you see if we can get her and then in the interim time i've seen your website and more things that you do and understand you more deeply and at this point it seems to me like you are the type of person who has been thinking about the things that I am thinking about and interested in across the board comprehensively and are several years ahead of me in, in that you've been doing it. So now I just – I don't know how to explain it, but it feels like all the areas that you do stuff in and stuff on your blog and website and all that is all stuff that I just now am getting into. I listened to a podcast with you from 2015 that you were on, and that's when we started this podcast – and I wouldn't have been able to understand anything you were saying then, and I would have rejected it almost entirely, and now I am totally there. So I feel like, shit, am I five years behind where you're going? If so, I better get with it and figure out where I'm headed. So something like that is my interest in in, in this podcast. So (laughs) now we got another 40 minutes, so let's try. (laughs) So what brought you onto this path? Like if, if five years ago you weren't open to this and now you are, like what changed in you? Well, like five years ago, we were probably, Toby, help me out. Were we saying that like uh, being gay is probably wrong, but we don't want to judge it? Is that like where yeah, we were? 
and five years before that, we were completely against, like me personally, 10 years ago, I was completely against evolution. <laughs> uh, homosexuality was a total sin, perversion, uh, definitely no to gay marriage or anything like that. And it was an attack on my faith. And uh, all, all that from, you know, that's what I was taught from birth. And then, uh, you know, I went the way of college and then got out into the world, which is the, everybody warned me would change my minds about stuff. And it did. They were right about that. They yeah. really were. So, yeah. yeah. So with that being said, the, the change started happening and the progression, even through this podcast, people, if you go back to the first few episodes and listen to now, there has been a huge change, but it, it's been based out of, I, I, actually, I would say it's probably more rational like i'm thinking about my god more rationally i'm thinking about life more rationally the things the experiences i've had has showed me wait the things i were, was thinking was based on some uh, illogical thought or some some process that i had been following that never really brought me joy or any real satisfaction we've always been super big on radical transparency which is what brought us here we're in some kind of christian thing uh we even caught caught up into something more like a cult that was a big mega church and uh, Toby and I are musicians. We've been we've playing a touring, you know, emo post hardcore band for for twenty years is our our job. So and we were like in a Christian, you know, rock band kind of a thing. And then we just have always had this impulse of radical transparency, and it just put us on this path to now we're you know something like totally at odds with. I don't know what Christianity is or something, but I don't yeah. think of it yeah. that way. But that's how they think of us. So whatever. Yeah, Christianity is a beast. It's a beast not designed for transparency. It's a beast designed for like other kinds of functions, like mm -hmm. uh, like having certain effects in society. So, how did what is the impulse of of that radical transparency in your own language, not mine? But what is that, and how long have you had that? That seems to be is it something like your guiding principle? Yeah, I think it comes out of um, self skepticism and curiosity, mm -hmm. which is like I've always had. Um, and I was raised in, like, as you know, a, a very religious family. I didn't know that until recently. That's when I was like, oh, so she must really get it. Because I didn't know that you had a Christian background until oh, last, yeah. this week. Is what I'm saying. I didn't know that. Yeah, my, my dad runs a uh, evangelical uh, uh, outreach thing, uh, which was quite big uh, maybe 10 years ago. But he has, like, a radio show and has published books. And, and so we were the family that... Uh, knew how to debate the atheists and all that stuff. Mm. Um, oh, wow. But uh, for like my childhood, it was always uh, like a very rational approach to Christianity. Whenever I had questions, it, they were always welcomed, which is a very different experience than a lot of people have with Christianity. So that was that aspect of like trying to like logically figure out what makes sense. Um, it was very paramount, mm. uh, I th which I think was a great foundation for, you know, eventually leaving that faith and then pursuing other things. Uh, where did you grow up? Idaho. In Idaho. How about where do you live now? San Francisco. Okay. And so it was a, what, how old were you when you left Christianity? I, let's just do that. How did you, how, how quick was that transition out? Uh, it was, um, I was almost 19 and the loss of the face was instantaneous. It was mostly like, um, so I've been like in a lot of discussions and debates with non-believers about Christianity for years leading up until that point. And um, I knew all of the answers that I was supposed to give um, as a Christian, right? You know, people are like, well, did Judas hang himself or did he fall upon the rocks? And it's like, well, actually, that's not a contradiction. He hung himself and then fell upon the rocks, like mm -hmm. stuff like that. Right. Um, and so it was just this whole like world of like, here is the answer that we give to these sorts of questions. Um and then when I was um, almost 19, I think I had a question that uh, I couldn't answer, which I kind of don't want to talk about the question too directly because then it would link me 
back to uh, me because I've written about this under my my real name before. Um, um, but if for one second, it was a question that I hadn't heard before, so I didn't have a pre-stocked answer ready to to go to respond to it. Um, and for a second, it just kind of like slipped me out of my faith for just a second. I was like, wait a second, like, what if this maybe isn't true? Like, wait, this would indicate the whole thing is a lie. And then from that, like, split second of stepping outside my faith, I realized how much effort I had put in to making the faith make sense. Mm -hmm. Like, all of like these reasons and rationales and, like, these com complicated theological constructs that people made up to, like, make everything fit. And and I, after that, I just couldn't sustain it anymore. It was, mm -hmm. like, in very instant. Ah, oh, wow. That sounds rough because then you know, you know, that you know what's ahead then is a lot. There's a lot to do at that point then. That must be hard at 19 to realize what everything you had known you had lost in an instant and what the path would be from there. Right. I mean, this is probably something you're probably also familiar with, but you don't just lose your faith. Like you lose um, your community and your sense of like morality. I didn't know how to make sense of it was right and wrong anymore. Um so I, it was, I engaged in some very confusing behavior after that. I became really promiscuous because I was like, well, if everything Christianity teaches me is wrong, then the systems around sexuality are wrong. Therefore, I should just do what feels good. And then I just had sex with everything that moved because <laughs> I didn't have any like information about how to behave like installed mm -hmm. in my head at that yes. point. That's, that's, uh, and that's interesting because I remember being the type of person who would say, Oh yeah, if I didn't have my Christian faith, I would just do everything bad and think, you know, all the way down that I would just do all this bad stuff if I didn't have these rules. But that's not true. I mean, yeah, that's not true. It's just clearly not true. But I, I guess I believed that that was true. So I, I totally, totally understand that. But I, I thought me. it was re I, real quickly. I wanted to say one of the things that I just thought it was so well written how you described it on on your site, knowingless dot com. Um, you wrote, nearly 19, sitting there in that dorm room, I could feel my faith slipping away from my fingertips, and it was like trying to avoid a car crash in slow motion. No, 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 yeah. no. I scrambled for the answers, but all the ones I had studied so well uh, suddenly seemed far far away. And you said, I cried out to God to save me because I couldn't do it myself. Like, that is just, I know exactly what you're saying there. When you start, when it starts happening... You're like, you still want God to come save you from it because you've always been taught that that means you're lost or you're gone. Did, did you have, yep. was, was there still a fear, like a fear of hell or condemnation or that in that moment you thought, uh, how, what percentage of you was totally wrong and you were just evil now? Right. Like in the moment that I was losing it, I was afraid uh, mm -hmm. of that. I was like, oh, I'm going through that thing that I know that other people have gone through where they lose their faith. And then, well, I was a Calvinist, so I believe they had never had their faith to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, right. But, you know, this process is like very bad and, you know, bad things happen. And now it's happening to me. Um, and that was extremely terrifying. But after it was done, um, I did not feel afraid of hell, which I know a lot of people have trouble getting out of that. Um, so I was very lucky in that regard. Yeah, that seems to be you know, unbelievably traumatic to so many people in a way that they just, I know a lot of people that aren't going to get over that no matter what. So no matter what I do, and you I talk about it fortune. too. Uh, one of the things that's been going through my head recently, and I think part of it was because I even realized my own weak ego when I was a teenager, early twenties or whatever, I was the, I was a bad boyfriend. I had a weak ego and I, you know, wanted my girlfriend to stay with me or I was jealous or whatever it might be. And you kind of even talked about that. Uh, people in bad relationships rationalize all the time. Relationships give a sense of purpose and meaning, love and stability. 
breaking up really fucking sucks and requires laboriously putting in the piece, putting the pieces back together. And I was thinking, I've been thinking about that now with the, with like our listenership and with people that I come across with daily. It really does feel like we were. There, it was like a bad boyfriend relationship that I had with God. Like it was, he's like I was even told he's jealous. He's a jealous God. He's angry. You have to do what he says, or you will be. You'll lose him. You know all of those things. That is the way I was taught my God. And then, then after you fell in line, they would say, "But he loves you so much. Loves you unconditionally. Will always be there for you. Will save you. You're lost. You will be found, and all this stuff." And it was it was so hard for me. I just really can relate to that story of you. There's part of that that really feels really comforting. Wait, I have this all powerful God, and I'm on His side. That means no matter what, I win. You know, and and then when, and when you lose that, all of a sudden it's just you and all your shit. Well, that can't be right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I'm missing something here, which is like right. a big part of it. You know, in Christianity, there was like a sense of knowing what was going on that has never ever come back. And I think mm-hmm. if people like really can't stand this this sort of like purgatory of like hovering in between knowledges, then uh, then they would really be drawn to something like Christianity. So, can do you mind if I just try to poke around and see if I can understand what your underlying drives are and 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 stuff like that more, more than than exactly topical here? So, when it comes sure. to pushing taboos and radical transparency, is that a innate impulse that you have or something you've learned to put on top of How, where does that come from in, in, in motive in a motivational sense the nature versus nurture debate is always going to be confusing and i really don't know if this is something installed by society or genetic um it's likely a combination of both but it's something that's always been has been present early with you it's not something yeah, you put definitely. on later it, like it's a it's a well, and what is radical transparency? Was that uh, is that the language used? I sorry, I didn't have your tweet up for the. I lifted that from it. That's the word I. Would I can use, read it. I, I have think it here, that's Matt, what you, you said necessarily. But I don't. I don't remember. Uh, well, okay. Let Let's me read, read it. it. Let me read it real quick. It says over the past few weeks, I've been thinking more about public persona. How careful should I be with it? How filtered? When the bestiality tweet went viral, literally thousands of people assumed I'm a dog fucker instead of realizing I'm a researcher who asks weird questions, which. I even I don't even think it's a weird question. It just feels like it should be a weird question or something like that. Anyway, uh, this is a bit scary because the thing I have to be afraid of isn't truth. It's weaponized narratives carried by people who don't like me and don't care about my actual opinions. Um, and there's there's more. Mm-hmm. There's a thread here that's really good. But anyway, that's the tweet. So you go on in there and just say that you always thought something like being transparent was a, a high goal, but it could be working against you here. And I've always been looking for the bottom of that, too. I mean, I have a philosophy that says if I find something good, more of it is better until it's not. I mean, that's just the way I explore the world. Um, and so I've been on this kick of trying to be as transparent as possible to be it makes me feel safer. It makes me feel safer if I don't, if I'm not carrying anything or trying to hide anything or remembering what I didn't say or I'm not supposed to say to this person. I'm just not good at that, and it's just I, I've always had a strong drive to to for that. I'm curious if you found is that true for you, and what what are you going to do? What are we going to do going forward? Is it are we really in de- is that not the best policy? Well, I mean, I think temperate? we're talking about like two different things here. One is the the public sphere, and the other is the private. Mm-hmm. And and we're talking about like what kind of repercussions happen with the public when they aren't ready to be transparent with themselves. Because like, for example, with this bestiality treat, right, people had a disgust reaction. And the reason why this was bad is because they did not like d- dissect their own disgust reaction. 
right? Mm -hmm. they, they used it and reacted with it. Um, and so this is a, a section where the public is not ready to be like self-inquiring about this sort of thing. But you can always self-inquire privately. You don't have to publish your, your questions about, hey, what's, why do I feel gross about the thought of fucking a dog? And mm -hmm. like, think about that yourself. So, so these are two very separate questions and, and absolutely in private sphere, like totally go for it. I, I strongly uh, support self-transparency or at least questioning yourself, like not believing the narratives that you're telling yourself, mm -hmm. um, at least that. Yes. And then in the public sphere, though, that becomes really scary, though, to me, because is it is there a fighting back about that? Do we want more? And what does it mean <laughs> to say something like that, that people aren't ready for it? I have such a hard time with that. I, I'm, I'm having a particularly hard time with what who says I, I don't I mean, I'm, I feel a little bit lost in that exact area. Yeah. So like with things with the like talk shows, you know, on the Today Show or whatever, they are appealing to the least common denominator. They have mm -hmm. a very narrow range of the kinds of like uh, boundaries they can push before getting like losing a large chunk of their audience. But luckily, we're not all the Today Show. Luckily, we're appealing to niches um, where we have like much more leeway. Like for me, I just say a whole bunch of shit and the kinds of people that can tolerate that shit come and follow me. Right. Um, so the question then isn't like, how do we maximize our audience by not being offensive? The question is like, how much can we push with the niche that we want? And so I think like, that, and that was interesting for me because the bestiality question pushed up against the boundary that I thought I had more room in. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm not saying that like you can or can't say ridiculous things. I'm saying that this just changes the sides of your audience. What do you think is the, uh, I don't know if you use the word taboo actively like that or seek to lessen them, but I'm, I guess I'm wrestling with that. I'm thinking at this point, if I'm always bumping into taboos and I'm always trying to fight them, it seems like is that a good pursuit? Is that a is that is that what I'm doing? I'm trying to figure out what it is I'm trying to do. And is it is it to identify and push back on taboos, or is it good to? Ha what is the function of them? Maybe that I'm not seeing that doesn't need to be messed with. For instance, yeah. I mean, are you familiar with? I think how do you say that loud? Chesterton's fence. Oh, I don't know that one. Please, so it's this concept, um, I actually don't know where this parable originates, but Chesterton is walking along and he sees a fence in the in the woods oh and, i do know this one yes. and then Go he ahead. like right yeah and and then he's like well we should figure out what it's holding in before we tear it down mm -hmm. and this is the idea behind taboos we should figure out why the taboo is there and we probably can't see why before we annihilate it and i think this is a valid concern um but in general i i like erring on the side of taking down the taboo first um but then you get to stuff like how i mentioned the rationality community is very cult prone it's because of this uh, like the rationality community is happy to tear down fences a lot of the time. They're like, what? Mm -hmm. This is a social norm. Actually, this doesn't make sense. Let's get rid of it. And so you get like a lot of really weird stuff going on, a lot of which I really value and has a lot of benefits. But this is also let in uh, people who have turned out to be kind of like shitty cult leaders um, because we don't have like the things installed anymore that have our, our gut reaction saying, no, this is bad. So there definitely can be issues. Um but, you know, it's exciting to go find out what those issues can mm -hmm. be. I'm glad we had those cult leaders as opposed to never being weird in the first place. What is the rationality cult? Can you give an example of, of that when it gets that way? Um, 
So usually it's subgroups inside of rationality. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think that rationality in a whole is a cult. It's very varied and people disagree all the time. Um, but in the last uh, year or two, there's been uh, two groups that sort of formed a subculture and there were norms of secrecy and um, like weird uh, sorts of belief structures that came out um, and definitely like unhealthy power dynamics between the cult leader or leaders and the rest of the people. No, no, nothing, none, none that you would name to avoid. I don't want to name them. Okay. No, they're they're pretty small. I don't think they're like in the news or anything. Mm -hmm. So it wouldn't be worth doing that that anyway. Well, how about the rationalist people that that are not that way? I mean, some of who are the people else in this community you think maybe is good for people to tiptoe into? Uh, I'd certainly like your yours knowing knowing less uh and that reminds me of Eliezer Yudkowsky's less wrong in in name and is that is 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 he somebody you like or know yeah yeah he uh I've met him a few times um oh terrific he's he's nice yeah but I don't know him personally who else is in who else would you say is in in that kind of world um, definitely Scott Alexander, who's great mm. and runs that's a Slate, Slate Star, Star Codex. Codex. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Dot com. Yeah, really excellent. Um, and he he also writes a lot about uh, how smart it is for us to be removing taboos. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. That is so exciting. See, I'm on just a really new place, right? And that's what I'm saying. This podcast is a weird one in that the, a lot of this is kind of new to me, and I'm just trying to think of what amount of restraint to use. But I was just reading his meditations on Moloch yesterday, yeah. and I just couldn't believe that I couldn't have had that 10 years ago. Couldn't somebody have showed me that? I mean, it's just so much in there for me. And, you know, and so I'm in this time of really taking in a bunch of new stuff, and it's just very, very exciting. So that's what's going on. Well, I'm excited for you. This is—it's a really great world. I, I love it so much. What what guides you towards certain topics like like bestiality? How do you decide you want to do a, a poll on that or or talk about that or something like that? Are there certain things that you are seeing in culture that you think are you doing it to push a button? I mean, there's always a part of me that kind of enjoys the button pushing. I have to admit, um, I try to not feed that part, but it does come out. Uh, so I, I tweet about a lot of stuff, not just bestiality. I have over 1,200 polls that I've recorded in a spreadsheet. Um, so bestiality was one of, you know, literally yeah. over a thousand. Um, but mostly things that trigger discussed responses that don't seem to be consistent. So bestiality is a big one. One of like the age of consent is really interesting because we're okay with the thought of a 15-year-old having sex with another 15-year-old, but we consider them unable to consent if you bump the age of their partner like 20 years, right? And so we talk about this being like a power imbalance, but then we don't apply the same reasoning to other kinds of power imbalances, such as like wealth gaps, which I would consider to be like far more important than age gaps in some, if you, if you turn up the money well, enough. Uh, so it's yeah. just stuff like this, like usually around sex, usually around uh, like minors or taboos or fetishes are really interesting. Um, fetishes. Yeah. That's similar too. Mm -hmm. Is, um, is it, is it, uh, are you familiar with the, the way Jonathan Haidt talks about moral intuitions and incest and stuff like that. Isn't that a thing? He's, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that, that book I'm not. or not. But he, I think he has a whole chapter and stuff in there where he puts a bunch of thought experiments about incest that are very much in line with what you're talking about. And it just makes people irate, which is the point of the research, just to make them answer the question. And so something about taboos is like that, where it's, 
I'm I'm kind of curious of what taboos are emerging currently. Like I don't think they're all necessarily built in. I think we may be in the stage of constructing a bunch of new ones, for instance. So it just seems example? very fascinating. Um, ooh, I wish I'd have had one prepared. I think we're probably starting to build a. Ta- hmm, I don't want to say it. <laughs> that's why, because it's that's what I mean. It's when you feel like you shouldn't talk about uh, an issue, that means are we forming a taboo there? Is what I'm saying. So, for instance, I have no stance on the matter. But isn't it like a taboo forming maybe about any discussion of what a woman wears? Sure. Like the Super Bowl thing or is it in the work, you know, if somebody's going to talk about workplace appropriate this or that, like it's just it's just something we're not going to do. Does that sound like yeah, it, it, it sounds more of a dangerous topic than a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So things that feel like dangerous topics, is it possible that they just eventually land in the nobody mentions it like. The way child sexual abuse, we just don't talk about it. Just don't. I mean, definitely child sexual abuse is becoming less taboo over time. Yes, and that's good. Not and what so. women are wearing is becoming more taboo. Like, I think the, the landscape sort of mm-hmm. change and shift over time. Like, yes. right now, gender is, is very fraught. You know, it's a landmine if you want to step into it. And what women wear is definitely a subset of that. Yeah, so we just stop talking about it altogether and we won't have a problem anymore collectively. Well, people is still talk idea? about it. They, they fight about it. <laughs> I think it's like when the areas where the discussion moves from a discussion into a dispute, there's like some places where it's hard to have a discussion. And mm-hmm. so most they, they'll stop talking about it, which is how you're not supposed to talk about politics at Christmas or something. Right. It's because like you anticipate that the discussion will turn heated. So it seems like you should talk about it then to me. Well, it depends on what your values are. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want there to be more taboos later because then I'll be more restricted in what I can talk about without having to remember all the rules and norms. That's why I care. Talking about women, what women wear is not taboo if you say stuff like women can wear whatever they want. Like, mm-hmm. for example, that is not a taboo thing. So right. there's specific perspectives on it which are not taboo to, or are taboo to say. Like if you say women should dress more modestly because this would reduce the rate of sexual assault. Like, regardless of the truth of that, which I don't know if that's true or not, like, I'm pretty ambivalent about it, like, you are not allowed to say that at all. Right. Yes, right. You're not allowed to, but it might be... Somebody might think it's good or helpful and can't say it, and now, here we go. I mean, that's how the Christian sexual taboos all... It's just to help people. When y'all talk about allowed to say something, too, are we talking about a small group that influences the majority, or is it actually everybody? Like, it... like. For example, there was a big hubbub. We were talking about this on our Daily Dose episode about uh, Christians on was saying that you know J Lo and Shakira shouldn't be doing that, and they put their crotch in my kid's face, and I'm just trying to watch a football, you know, and they're like so outraged. And then those same, a lot of them are soccer moms that were totally happy with Adam Levine last year taking his shirt off and his tattoos and being sweaty and just a hunk. And and so, but are those people influencing the majority? Like. For example, it's not I am at a real disadvantage if I want to talk about women's clothing. <laughs> I'm a white middle class <laughs> male, cisgender, what you know, all all the things. If I have an opinion, I'm a father of two daughters and a son and and so I'm at a real disadvantage if I wanted to have a rational conversation about clothing. I can say, yes, one of the things that helps JLo's music is her body. That is just true. But I don't think that's bad. I, I, you know, one of the things I'm a singer and we, we talked about this once again on our daily dose episode, but like I, I lost when we knew we were going to get signed to a record label, I lost 30 or 40 pounds of weight. Cause I was like, I'm gonna be in front of people. I don't want to be jig as jiggly. And I want to, you know, <laughs> there's certain things that I care about when you're in front of people the same way as what we're talking about here. 
you're saying certain things in public, but how much do you want to say and allow that weaponry to be shot at you or used against you or whatever it might be? I don't, but isn't it, isn't it a small amount of people that really are upset and then everybody just thinks, ah, I better just go with it? It probably depends on the issue. Um, and it probably depends on your subculture. Uh, like, for example, I live in Berkeley right now, which if I go out on the street, there's very likely that I will encounter a very specific set of opinions about like politics and social stuff. And you probably have a completely different set that you would encounter if you walked out on the street. Um, and so, I mean, it, I, oops, sorry. Um, so like, it really depends on a lot and it depends on like the strength of the issue that you're positing. Like, for example, if, if you say women shouldn't wear many skirts, if then if they get raped, they're asking for it. Probably uh, a small minority will agree with you and most people will disagree. But if you say something slightly looser, like being dressing conservatively, uh, like helps propagate uh, respectful treatment of women, a slightly larger percentage of people would agree with you. So it really depends mm-hmm. on the specifics here. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how everybody adjusts here because it's definitely a threshold thing and uh, it's not black and white. And so you just don't have to learn how to navigate. It seems like the transparency thing really plays in, though, because if you can be radically transparent about all your stuff, then it gives you so much more ability to speak on and inquire honestly about many things. So there's a real value in being able to have, you know, to not be playing some game where you're hiding your motives or who you really are from your thing that seems to really be an, an advantage to, to of of that it gives you more a credit somehow in there it it also is an aspect of love i feel like to behave lovingly to other people is to mm-hmm. like be someone for whom like you can accept that other person fully and that means like not being horrified or judging anything about them no matter how like disgusting or shameful or like deeply hidden and so to be able to to demonstrate that sort of acceptance about yourself like hey i have this weird thought let's talk about it let's like go and be genuinely curious about it like without like having this horror reaction like that's a way of demonstrating that you too can experience a sort of acceptance for yourself and i find it to be like morally good in a sense Oh, I know another taboo that is something we, I mean, it's always existed and it might be shifting, but do you have thoughts on the taboo of talking about suicide? Um, I, I do. I'm not sure what thoughts. I, I, I just, I just know that people don't like to talk about it. And anytime we ever podcast about it, I've made different attempts to try to talk about the issue and it just, it's not that people criticize it. It's just, they don't, what they kind don't of reaction listen. do you get? No, no downloads of the episode. Yeah, interesting. That that's the 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 main thing. Like, it's pretty quiet. If you tell, it's it's taboo, and it's not people don't want to argue about it. They just don't want to think about it or something. And then there's some research and stuff that's saying there's research that says if you talk about it, it can cause it more. Like in the media, that there's some there's some good research on that. That by depicting it in art, it actually can increase suicides. So that fact is that that's a good one because I go wait a minute. Is it good that it's a taboo and it saves people because of that? Or that, does, but it really doesn't feel right to me. And Another I want to question challenge. is like, is it right that some people do commit suicide? Like we're, right. we're treating suicide as a negative here. It's mm-hmm. possible that some of these people would be better off like not living that are living, which well, is an incredibly taboo thing to say. Right. I that's just what said I mean. right there. Yeah. Right. I would say, can I, I'll say even further, just, just, and it could be wrong, but it would almost occur to me that there's a situation here where human beings are evolved to, for the benefit of the whole 
population. There's some effect of that going on there. And it seems maybe that there is something built into humans that if they really come to grips with, rightly or wrongly, the fact that they think that they're a net negative, they, they do something about it for the good of the population. I mean, is that not possible? And, and then that's why it's a huge taboo, and most people have to have all these delusions that, that, so they think they're better than they are to avoid just such of a thing. I mean, that's a, a dark thought or something, but... Well, I, I would be curious to see uh, rates of suicide across different cultures in, in regards to this. Like, uh, it, we would expect to see higher suicides in cultures where people have less of a role, maybe? I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Like, what, what sort of scenario could test that theory? Mm-hmm. Well, either way, we don't talk about it or do much with it, is what I'm saying, is the, is, is the thing. It seems important to everybody, but not important enough to, like, talk about. You know? Yeah, I, I'm very curious about it, it being like a reduction in doubt was on your podcast. That's, that's really interesting data. I wonder, yes. like, too, is this uh, this frontier, it seems, it seems like uh, rewind 100 years ago, maybe even less than that, and you could say anything? <laughs> and, and now you fast forward, and now it's a frontier to try and say something. Like, for example, we were just talking about it earlier, uh, the comedian Ari Shafir, he tweeted about Kobe Bryant. He said, uh, it's, it's, I guess the day that Kobe Bryant died, he tweeted, Kobe Bryant died 23 years too late today. He got away with rape because all the Hollywood liberals who attack comedy enjoy rooting for the Lakers more than they dislike rape. Big ups to the hero who forgot to gas up his chopper. I hate the Lakers. What a great day. Now, a Kobe fan or a Lakers fan immediately would be super upset with him. It was... It, it, on the surface, that's super poor taste. Obviously, also Kobe's daughter died and several other people died in that helicopter crash. There's a lot to this story. But if you were to dig a little bit, like you said, see what's on the other side of that fence like you were talking about, well, you would know that Ari Shavir always does this with every celebrity. He says he does it uh, to kind of poke at the gods that we create. And the most time you could poke at them is the day they die because that's the most time they're most worshipped or whatever it might be. And I now he is kind of being canceled. He's got dropped from a couple of shows in New York now. A club says he won't have him anymore. Uh, his management dropped him. There's a bunch of different things. Now, I'm not defending what he said. I was a Kobe fan, and I and I even understand that, but uh, I understand people's outrage and being upset and, and angered by it. But all the people that are don't know him or Kobe. They don't know him. They don't know either of these celebrities. They don't know them at all, and it's just somebody wrote something that they thought they wanted to write. And they might lose their career and their income and all of these things. And so I, I wonder, once again, nobody really cares. No, Like us, us three sitting here talking right now talk about this, none of us even care. We don't, I don't know if we care that much seriously about the Kobe death or the Ari Shafir uh, comment or whatever it might be. But when we're talking about what you can say and what you can't say, all of us probably wouldn't have done that. So are we weaker than Ari? Like, is he actually in some ways uh, really pushing against the grain and, and out there farther than us three would even go? Because he's like, is, I'm going to get hit really hard here, but it's worth it for art or or to actually learn something. I, I don't know. It just feels like we're going backwards. And when the people push against going backwards, they are going to get canceled. I I find his that uh, tweet or whatever that was uh, really interesting because it pits uh, one sympathy for someone who died, which is we culturally value. Another is um, being very angry at people who sexually assault. And in this case, he was like picking one over the other. 
uh, which is, and then he lost, he lost that guess, which is super interesting and like an uh, interesting indication of like where culture's uh, like value system lies. Hmm. I don't know if I would go so far as to even say he lost. I feel that it's almost a martyr, <laughs> martyr like act where he knew he was going to lose and he still thought it needs to be done, is the way I read it. He didn't think he like, would lose that bad. No, maybe not. But even if so, it makes me almost more likely to support Ari in the future. I, I don't know how, another way to say that, but it doesn't seem like. I mean, I don't think he was like, "Oh, this is just going to get a bunch of laughs." Oh, I love to be mean. I mean, that's not what I think motivates him there. You know, I think he's j- sincere about the thing he's trying to push against, and it comes at a cost to him. As the way I, as the way, I don't know. I might be fucked up the way I look at it, but that's what but I when, see. But I, when you're thinking about something rational, how do you? Uh, Obviously, you decide not to say some stuff that you think. And what is that? What is that thing? Well, I got this thought. Like, I mean, you know, like you said, you've had so many polls, and there's all of these things. And is there, there's a real chance that someday you might say something in one of your polls, or you might tweet something, or whatever, and that's it. And so you yeah. make that decision, right? That like you make the decision of what to say and what not to say. And then there's so there is some blurring of the lines of truth and vulnerability and public persona like for me there's some stuff that i'm not going to say on this podcast it ain't worth it at all it just isn't even if i've thought it a million times and all that stuff it just ain't worth it i have to and i make that decision based on my livelihood my family and income and all that stuff not right pursuit of truth well you have a livelihood to be worried about right now i don't have anything that can hurt me in regards to to twitter um, which gives me a lot more freedom. As soon as I start like making deals with people where I, uh, my reputation suddenly becomes tied with theirs, then then it's going to mm-hmm. have to be. I will definitely self censor a lot more. Do really? you have a trajectory for for what you're doing? You, know, you say you do research and stuff like that, and it's non academic. Or do you hope to be in that realm? Or like what? How do? You, where do you think you're headed? Is, is, is something I'm curious about. I don't want to waste too much time, but that's I'm very interested in that. I've so far been a pretty short term risk taker, which has gotten me very far. Like I used to be in sex work uh, for years and um, that is what amassed me at least the core of the following that I started doing research on. So I figure if I just uh, like figure out what I have available to me and then follow my curiosity, like that will lead to the next step. (laughs) I like that approach. Um, What is the next step? What step are you on? What's the next book? I am planning on writing a book. Tell us about it. Um, So, (coughs) excuse me. Uh, so probably autobiographical, uh, autobiographical interspersed with research. Right now I'm researching enlightenment or people who claim enlightenment. Um, so that would be a heavy theme of the book. Okay. Well, I would love to talk about that one topic with time we have left. The Another issue around, I think, this whole thing is uh, if I'm really struggling individually with the notion of I think I have learned some things and know some things and see some things on a higher level than I used to and more so than other people currently do. Now, the word enlightenment or saying you're better than somebody or you're above people, it's, the, it's one of the biggest taboos of all is to yep. make such a claim. Extremely and so, true. So now I really am lost. I mean, it makes me, you know what I wrote down? I wrote down uh, marginal revolution and less wrong and knowing less. And then I wrote down my future blog, which is why I'm better than you.com. I'll just go ahead and get that out of the way. I'll just say I'm way better than everybody. Yep. I, somebody, I said something on Twitter yesterday and somebody said, oh, well, there you are just thinking. You, and I was like, yep, guilty as charged. Fine. Now what? Like, I don't know. I just, I think 
if you what is the taboo with and how do we deal how do you deal with that people it's not i don't want to i don't i don't want to <laughs> say it that way and i don't think it's that way and i don't even know if it's smarter i mean it could it's not even that and it can be in narrow areas but my gosh i mean there's nothing worse than the notion like the charge of elitism is such a weapon that is nonsense i mean it's a nonsense weapon in my opinion like Somebody might know something more than you, but you can't say that you do. It, it violates my transparency button to not think, well, I did, I was where you are, but now I'm here. So can I not just tell you? Well, there, there's like, we can ask why. So like, if you imagine yourself in a situation where there's somebody in front of you and you know more than them, and then you experience this desire to like, let them know this, whatever's going on. The question is like, why? So one is like, what is your motivation for doing that? And two are, what are the effects? Because like our problem with telling other people that we are understand something better than they do doesn't come from strictly that it comes from the effects that it has. So like in a social dynamic, this informs somebody else that you, um, or it has the implication that your, what you say has greater authority, right? Which, which is the problem because then people don't have uh -huh. an easy way to fight against this. They so the make thing it a proxy for authority. That's great. Right. So That's the it. issue is not actually knowing more than somebody else. We're actually totally fine with that when we have structures that enforce that, for example, teachers. Um, mm. But it's, it's when you're doing it in a dynamic where you, the other person needs to feel that they are valued by you, that their thoughts have like meaning and depth. And then if you tell them, you know, like, oh, I know more then they, they feel invalidated. So the, the issue issue is not knowing more the issue is invalidating the other person's like personal authority and so i think if you can like come across where you genuinely value what they have to say and find their perspective unique and useful you can get away with quite a lot of like talking about how your own perspective is like maybe more informed than theirs yeah it feels like the the thing yes i think thinking of it tied to authority is is very critical. That makes a lot of sense because, I mean, I don't think much about authority and try to avoid it in every possible way. I mean, I build my life to avoid it, and I never think of being authoritative to other people. Like, that's the last thing I want to be is in that position, but I might missignal to them um, often, and they may misinterpret that. And it's certainly it's not good to be irritated at somebody, and you can't explain it to something to them, and then, you know, that whole cycle. But it is, it's not it's it's so frustrating because you can know something in a single area that's very narrow and still be a big idiot that doesn't know anything and doesn't yeah, do definitely. better than somebody and to be able to talk about it. But it seems like I have to learn more coded ways of explaining right. things see, to people. What you were doing right there, like right there, you were socially deflating the thing you know. Like, mm -hmm. for example, you're like presenting ways in which the other person still maintains authority. So yeah. like that sort of thing where people say, well, you can know a lot in one area, but not in others. That's exactly the kind of technique that people use to like make it more palatable. Well, I guess that's what I've always been doing now that you mention it. I just yeah. I'm a I, smart. You know, my personality is I've always been what is the class clown. And I, I this is so terrible, but yeah, and, and you're already doing a lot of very smart things without realizing it. Like like our whole social being is constructed like kind of without our knowledge or sometimes consent. Like we engage in these like social habits that are really expertly diffuse potential dangers without even knowing that that's why they're installed. And so like a big part of the, for example, radical transparency process or the self-questioning is to like start to realize how much of your social being is like this, this big, very brilliant construction for navigating delicate situations. Interesting. 
But I, I didn't mean to get way off of that. But what when you say enlightenment specifically there with your book, what what specifically is does that mean? Can you define that? Um, well, no, that's part of the research. So a lot of the research is uh, basically talking to everybody who claims enlightenment or awakening or something similar, and then just asking, like, what do you mean by that? What is your experience? To find kind of map out the large range of ways that people relate to that word. So I'm not trying to say that word belongs to any particular kind of experience. I'm trying to say, figure out like the, all what is all out there? What What kinds of things are people experiencing? Okay, let's make a little bit of a list here. I'll say some that I bet you mean, and you can modify them but surely we're talking about meditation and that reaching things that way probably psychedelics uh probably some other religious type of things or or even religious stuff or all those things where you can reach enlightenment then at least what else is on that list sure. uh, a lot of people talk about enlightenment as a spectrum as opposed to a binary so you uh-huh. don't get enlightened you like start to be on the enlightenment journey for example mm. Um, some people have a non-spiritual enlightenment, which they consider to be like, uh, without the sense of like divine or mysticism or anything, they have like a big revelation about the nature of reality. That's very important. Um, some people do have a revelation about the nature of reality that is spiritual. Um, other, some people believe that you have to work very hard to get there. Other people believe it's spontaneous. Mm. So there's like a couple different categories of like the kinds of experience that you can have here. Yes, and it doesn't have to be enlightenment exactly like Buddhism and awareness and awake. And it, I mean, you know, I think that's probably some of what people describe when they get saved in Christianity. There is something that happens there for sure. For sure, there is. Yeah, you know? definitely. There's and, definitely something going on mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, is are you aware? I'm starting to suspect that if it's true that people can't say to you things directly. And this is the elitism thing, and then light is all tangled up for me. But I'm starting to get this suspicion that there are people that are something like the elite who do know stuff, and they know not to let other people know that they know it. So then you have all these manner of people. Some of them are pastors. Some of them are just writers of books and stuff, and they almost code the whole thing for people to not throw them off and they wouldn't sound like gurus or anything. Like there's that type of people, but there's people who are doing, I think writing very practical type books that are mainly geared toward, uh, being put enlightening people, but they would never use that language. And that's very intentional. Uh, is that on your radar? As a- I think that is absolutely true. <laughs> Why it does makes it make me you mad? really, really mad because it, it's, why don't you just tell me what you're trying to do? I don't, I feel tricked, but I, but it's work. it work. it's worked for me, but it's very frustrating. Um, I, there's some people in my life that I know, know more than me and they don't ever tell me things directly. And I wish they would, they leave me breadcrumbs and shit. It drives me crazy. Why do you think they don't tell you directly? Because I can't handle it. Do you think that's true? I, I'm sure it's true. I know for a fact I wouldn't have been able to handle it, and they wouldn't tell me. But now there's a di- that distance between me and them is real now. If I know about it, it makes me frustrated. Like, I have a sister that's that way. I have a sister that is incredibly intelligent, and she's a clinical psychologist and all this stuff. And I've been through some hard times recently, and she knew what it was and how it was going to go down, all this stuff. And she never told me. She, But she led me through, you know, she gave me a few things here and there. But... By the time it was over, I know I was like, "Oh, but you knew the whole time. You didn't tell me. Well, you could have probably told me way before that I was headed this way or didn't see this come and whatever." And it it makes me kind of angry. Does but it feel like embarrassment? Well, it's 
it makes me feel like, oh, I would have been more open-minded. You didn't give me a chance, but that might not have been true. You know what I mean? But that's the, that's the thing. Like how it's calibrating, if I'm talking to other people, now I'm faced with that question. Like, do I give them, do I tell them I really think? Or how much can they, ha- do I have to, I don't know. And, and I just, I think there's something about the, you know how the common people, which I like, I just like the common people. I never want to be an elite, smart, rich I don't like that. I just never want to, would ever want to be that. And so I really understand the enmity between the two groups. And it's like for a real reason. Like it almost seems true that they are better and think they're better and know they're better and can't tell us. It feels like that's real hmm. is what I'm saying. It seems like that might be real. And they don't, they are better than us. And they don't even want to say it because it'd be, they don't want, you know, does that, that's way out there, I know, but is that not make the whole divide of elite? Why does that make you feel bad not, if it's true? Um, well, I mean, well, I feel caught in the middle because, like I told you, I think I'm in, I'm becoming enlightened. I think I've learned a lot. I think I know a lot, you know, but I don't want to leave the, I don't want to be, a, I don't like elite, I don't like that attitude over Why here not? either. It just doesn't seem honest or transparent enough to me. Oh. It, it just doesn't seem transparent, which is my highest value. Oh, they're lying to you about not like not giving you full information. Is that what yes. you're saying? Yes. And so I, sometimes I'll read books and stuff and I'm like, oh, so they know if it was put in a guru in, in these words like that, I wouldn't read it. And they're right. So I'm just grappling with that, that tension, the reality of that. It seems really frustrating. <laughs> it is. It is. It is. Because I communicate with people and I feel the strong desire to communicate things I know to people. I just, that's a, the, maybe that's the strongest impulse more than transparency. I just want to tell people things I know. It, it could be too, they're right, that you couldn't receive it well. You wouldn't be able I'm to. I'm sure. You know what I mean? That's probably the truth. Like you can't, you can only receive things at a certain time and you have to build a bridge to get there and all of that stuff, right? I mean, but, but, but how are you supposed to look at somebody that you care about that is your friend? And then understand that you can't talk to them about stuff. That doesn't seem right. Well, you, you can, but you're just talking to them about, you can only talk to them how, where you're at, right? Well, then they'll sense that you, they think you think <laughs> you're better than them, and then they, then they don't like that. Right. Well, that's the truth, too. Maybe if somebody told you something, you wouldn't have believed it, or you'd have gone, ah, yeah, you're probably <laughs> right, but uh, let, me, let me just figure it out on my own, and you would have gotten there anyway. It, there, there was no, probably, in most instances, you're going to get somewhere no matter what anybody says, you, you almost can't be stopped. So that's what I'm saying. Like even this whole conversation we're having, who knows where we'll be in the public eye or not this time next year, because we're headed somewhere no matter what. I don't know if we can even stop it. I'm not Calvinist yes. anymore, but you know. Yes. Uh, you're I a mean, Calvinist? No. I used we we to, come I, from I, that. Yeah, I used yeah. to be as well, but uh, I, I worked at a mega church that was seriously Calvinist. And oh. uh, that was one of the big, big changes for me uh, that I, uh, once I was behind the scenes, I was like, "Oh yeah, this is definitely not. This isn't right." So I don't. Yeah, I don't my have, past you know. slightly different than that. In that I grew up in the rural. I mean, I was arguing evolution with everybody in the rural South in the '80s as the evolution guy, and then uh, then later in life got saved and tried to find rationality through Calvinism and. I thought that would do it. I thought maybe that's real and there is real answers. And I did that thing for a while until it was obviously not going to work. And so now I feel like did, how much time have I, what, what am I, you know, that, that's the point in my life where I'm at at the moment. Nice. Calvinism is obviously the superior form of Christianity. Uh, of course. I mean, that's, but I mean, that's what I was looking, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I guess that's what I was looking for. I, I don't think of myself as wanting to be superior. That rubs me the wrong way. Why? Uh, maybe it doesn't. 
I guess. I mean, what, it sounds like a good pursuit when you say it that way. I don't know. I'm just used to being the lo- the idiot. I mean, I'm the, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just like, used to that. You feel like safe being the idiot? Yes, way uh, safer. I, I see. It's way better. It's easier. It's just better. That makes sense. Because, like, <laughs> being someone who knows something is more vulnerable because you're harder to fall. And those people are so irritating, aren't they? (laughs) (laughs) I don't like any of them. I like regular people. It is. It is way safer being the idiot. I mean, I mean, I would even say that's way better. Isn't isn't that probably what one of Trump's biggest strengths is? He's not really an idiot, but man, why not just allows? Why not just be the buffoon to all the people that don't like you anyway? And then, and then you can show up here and there and do what you know. You have more. I resonate. The idiot (laughs) doesn't the idiot have more freedom than the intellectual maybe so that maybe that's it the freedom is what i like i think so but the worst is the people that okay so i I, i'm not very i don't love people who actually are smart and great and wonderful and want to be around them i don't necessarily think they have great personalities or something i guess and then on the other hand the people that aren't great and smart and wonderful that do want to hang around those people and pretend to be that way there's nothing more distasteful than that those are the actual worst people on earth in my opinion so either way I'd rather just hang out with the regular people. Why is that the most distasteful thing? The people that aren't don't have anything to offer, but only want to put, have the trappings of intellect and big vocabulary and status and all that stuff. Uh, like, so it's people who are like trying to get more than they deserve. Mm, yeah. Well, I'm no. I'm just saying they're boring, and and I don't like them. That's all I'm saying. I don't like being around them. They offer me nothing. They don't even know what they're talking about, and they're pretentious. So what's, what's, what's worse than that? They're not really saying anything. They're just saying stuff to be. I mean, I don't fun. care if they have a happy life. I don't want to hurt them. I just don't ca- right. want to spend a second around anybody like that or be mistaken for one of those people ever. Mm. That's why I, I don't know. Well, we got doing out good. Here. We got out Yeah, here. You, started no, breaking no, down no, Matt yeah, Carter. That, yeah. Ayla, we never had a guest that pushed yeah, back like on it. Matt and broke down Matt on a podcast. She didn't push back. Big. She's asking good questions. I know. So. She broke you down. Like, opened you up a little bit. I really appreciate it. It enlightened me. I can't <laughs> wait for the book. This is awesome. <laughs> uh, um, so, can we tell people to go to your knowingless.com site? Yeah. Is that, okay, yeah. Go there. And then uh, your Twitter feed is what? What is the Twitter? It's- Ayla underscore girl. Okay. A-E-L-L-A underscore G-I-R-L. And there is a lot of fascinating stuff there. I'm telling you, I really do appreciate it. I will say this. like I'm nowhere near as smart as either of you, but I just love the way you write on knowing She's going to ask you why you say that. No, don't ask me any questions. I just want to give you a compliment. <laughs> but I just really appreciate the way you write. Like even talk, your, you know, your post about 10 months of asset. It's just, it's really, it's, uh, I really appreciate the way you write. It, it, Thank you. It's very, uh, it's, it's, it's more than I can understand, and also it's very understandable and relatable. I don't know that that is just a, a great talent you have. So uh, That's I a definitely very good folks, compliment. Thank you. Yeah, folks, go to knowingless.com for sure because it's just oh a great read. And there's those cards you have on there. I don't yeah. know the name of them, but the party icebreaker cards, dude. Just get the just order them. Oh, Please yeah. order those things. Those are. You know, there's nothing I hate worse, and everybody knows it, than small talk and boring party talk. And I, I have a list, believe it or not, of things similar to that, not near as good as yours or anything. But I even have a list of things to do so that the social situations aren't boring that are good questions, like define a salad. I try to get people – I'll bait people to see if they can come up with a definition for what a salad is, for instance. You know, because <laughs> they, they, they'll they struggle, and it'll be interesting, and they'll fight, and it's nice. But you're, you have these cards of icebreakers that are – 
profound questions that they make people wrestle with stuff and it really puts them on the spot. And that's the state, the state that those questions put people in on the spot without forethought, without self-censoring, without stopping to think as they talk. That's the mode I want to experience everybody in all the time. That's it. That what those cards accomplish is the way I want it, want everybody to always be acting. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a very high praise. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's <laughs> well, uh, askhole.io. Uh, ask ask, so like askhole.io, ask except with a K, askhole.io. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it was basically I would go around parties and be like, what am I doing at this party? I want to have a good conversation. How do I, how do, I do this? So I started writing down these questions on cards. Um, a lot of them are taken from my Twitter. So the the ones on the Twitter that are most divisive or divided by gender or had generated the most debate and discussion out of those 1,200 Twitter polls, um, a lot of those came went into the game. So we have research-backed uh, questions designed to oh, create man. tears or fights or deep thinking or whatever. That is terrific. I recommend just buying those, and you won't be as boring, and the, your guests won't be as boring. Just don't be boring. <laughs> There are some rough questions, though. So take out the bad questions if you're going to be playing with your parents or something. Or yes. or not. Maybe you want to keep them in. I'm not sure. Some people have cool parents, but maybe not uh, Maybe not that much. But I do think yeah. that an audience of this podcast is just an amazing, open-minded group that's been with us from, you know, almost 500 episodes where they've a lot of them have changed and evolved along with us and some of their families and everything has. So I would say that, if you follow Ayla and some of these questions and they're making you uncomfortable, keep on with that. That yeah. seems to be the exercise here. And then see if you can see how far you can push those on your parents would be my suggestion. Yeah. <laughs> see as far as you can take that. One of the example cards is, did your parents do a good job? That'd be a good one to play. Yes, with. perfect. <laughs> perfect. That'd be a good one to play. Yeah. <laughs> Ask Cole Thank you for I, giving yeah. us so much time today. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. This has been really fun. <laughs> All right. Appreciate it very much. All right. I will head out. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Bye-bye. Okay. Well, thank you to Ayla for coming on there. And apologize if there's anything unconventional about that. I'm a little twisted around with it because I don't know if I was interviewing her or she was interviewing me. But so be it. She's just that good. She's just that good. But uh, And it's, you know, that this whole territory is – I wonder, too, if even talking that way makes it sound like we're not Christian or something or don't care about – I mean, you know what I mean? Like the whole thing is just weird. I I want to be able to speak from more independent frames of reference more easily yeah. because it's pretty easy for me to switch from a Christian point of view that is true and mine and one that is completely an evolutionary point of view or – you know. I don't know if that's other people don't like to do that, but I like to, to do that. I don't find that – inconsistent personally i think i'm uh, i've been thinking about this a lot lately because i don't think I, I did a post like on instagram tiktok about how my friends see me as a good person and my christian family sees me as the devil or lost my faith or something like that i cannot say i'm what american evangelical christian is anymore i can't i just can't say that now there are lots of things probably wrapped up in that that I still adhere to or believe, but it's just open-ended. It, it, right now, there isn't anything concrete about my faith. It's what I believe, what I feel, what I've experienced, what I've tried to learn through books, reading, you know, speakers, whatever it might be. And 
I am satisfied with it being open-ended, meaning it can change. So that means that my faith is alive and it's not dead like it used to be. I really believe the Christian faith isn't faith. It's just concrete facts in a way. They're not true facts, you know, but it's this factual thing that I, that I used to believe and was told to believe. And now I think what I have is, uh, ever changing and ever alive. It's getting older and hopefully smarter and having more experience. And so it is alive. What, what is I have, it? I have to take what is the pronoun? My faith, it? My, my faith in God, okay. or what I would call faith, I guess. Okay, so your faith or, or, is or an external thing. What is the? I would thing? say Christianity. You're, no, no, but you're referring to your faith here as some thing. Like it's really interesting. You're saying it, yeah. like it's a thing that isn't you. Uh, no. Well, it is me in the extent of what I, how I interact with it and relate to it. But it, if. <laughs> I'm classic Toby. If God's real, uh-huh. well, then there is this external thing, and the only way I'd have faith is that it's out there, and I'm trying to find it. Like the same ways I feel like I write. Your music. faith is I, you, or separate from you. Well, how about this? The way I write music is I really believe this. I believe there's a song out there, and I'm just trying to find it. I'm mining it, or I'm mm-hmm. looking for. It. I'm Agreed. I'm on a journey, and it. Once I get to it, I'll go. Oh, here's the song. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. But I don't. Like, I don't necessarily think of me as sitting down with a pen and paper and being really introspective and thinking about my thoughts. What that, the hell am I talking about? No, that, that's not. So my faith is this thing I'm trying to find. Like, oh, I can hold on here. And I'm climbing up the side of a mountain. And, uh, oh, wait, here's a little. I like that. Uh, I got my finger a grip hold. And I'm, okay, I'm up a little bit higher. Whoa, I can see something different here. Okay, well, all right. And it, it just has to be alive or real. It can't just be, this is what I know. And that's it, the never changing God. But I change all the time. Yeah. Even if God never does change, I do. Yeah. So I can't ignore that. I can't. I can't just say I'm still seven years old and believe in what my papa says. I. I can't. That would. That would be the lie. Yeah. And everybody knows that. You. You know that you're older and see things differently now. And if you don't change at all, you know you're lying. That's you super do cool know that. analogy. That uh, to, I hadn't thought of that before. But if you think of your faith like a song that you participate with. As you figure out what it is, and you wrestle with it, that is that's I never have thought of that before. So you're a genius. But <laughs> how about this? I mean, you're a guru to me. Um, yes. Uh, what is? Uh, how about this analogy then? I've thought of something similar for so- thinking about songs, and it is that I'm building. I feel like when I'm trying to communicate something or do a song, I'm building a bridge, but I don't know where it's going, but I'm building it. You have to build the thing you're building without knowing what it is you're building, but you got to start anyway. You don't. Right. You can't have the blueprints. You don't know the outcome. You don't know who might cross the bridge, and you're building it to another person, and it's structural, and you yeah. have to explore, and you have to decide, and you have to make decisions in that process without answers. So right. you're building, but you're not knowing what you're building. Does that yeah. sound familiar? similar? Yes, and I'm no longer going to let people out by me saying, yeah, I'm a Christian, and they, they get any relief. No, you, you're going to have to either really like me or really dislike me. You have to really try to work with me on yeah, some yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah. or I'm not doing that anymore. I, I've been in the club. That's all bullshit. Oh, we're Christians, and this is what well, we're going to help people. Get the hell out of here. We ain't doing all that. You, you, <laughs> if we're going to talk about faith in a real way, you, I'm a, you're not going to know everything about me because I don't. And why, you, why would I fake like I'm, I know everything about me and this is I'm certain on this stuff? No, you got to really like me or really care. And if you don't, then you actually don't. Then we know that about each other. Then we have something 
that we know. We know we don't like each other. We, That's great. We keep hanging out every Sunday uh, because we both say uh, we, we, we like cheese and we like hamburgers and we like french fries and God and helping people in other countries. That's like That's saying the, the projections of ourselves like each other. Or right. Or, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, or just some fake stuff that we don't really care about. It's just that we can be in anyway. All right. We uh, love <laughs> something called uh, the BC Club, the Bad Christian Club. It has helped us unbelievable, unbelievably so. And uh, like Matt said at the beginning of the podcast, there's a lot of cool things. One is we do a Daily Dose episode Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. It means every day of the week, uh, besides the weekend, we take the weekends off because we party hard. We are gangster on the weekends. I mean, my God. Uh, I stay up till probably 9.30 p.m. on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night. I mean, it's unbelievable. But um, we Sometimes so you get 11. extra episodes if you join the BC Club. Also, early access to tickets to the BC Con, which we're going to be announcing soon, and a discount to the BC Con. And this one's going to be the best one ever. I'm very excited about it. Uh, I can't wait to tell more details. But if you're not in the BC Club... What in the hell are you waiting on? We it is time to join. You've been listening to these podcasts. We, you know, you know that you could get extra episodes. You've been riding around listening to other podcasts, boring and bored as hell. Why not come over to the BC Club? Get all you could ever want in life with the, <laughs> in life with, and beyond with, with bad Christians. So <laughs> let me tell you some of the people who uh, have got all they want in life: Chris Oliveris, Brett Laid, Lady, uh, Andrew Needlander, Connor. Gillespie, Gillespie, Justin Cole, Kyle Harrington. When I don't know something, I go, uh, Kyle Harrington, Jeremy Eccles. Uh, I know another Jeremy Eccles. I don't, this is not the Jeremy Eccles I know, though. Uh, Alicia Yeager, Ben Morrison, and Denoya Novaveski. Denoya Novaveski. What a nice name. Uh, yeah, if you're not in the BC Club, just join it. And if not, don't ever speak to me again or listen to this podcast. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Delete. Just stop it. Unsubscribe. Just stop it now. Um, stop if it. You don't. If you're still here, <laughs> get out of here. Get out of here. Scram. You're like a, a dog that's trying to attack my dog. Gone. Scram. Get. Where's your owner? Get out of here. You got no leash. <laughs> this is a neighbor. Gone. Come on, Dottie. Come on. Get away from that dog, Dottie. Get, come on. Good <laughs> God. <laughs> That's exactly how I sound when there's a loose dog in the neighborhood. Yeah. Dottie's trying to get towards the Go! Get out of here! Get away! Shoo! Shoo! Hey! Where? And then a little old lady comes out. It happened to me the other day. There's a little old lady. I do not know what country she's from, but she did not speak any English. And she's like, sorry, sorry. I was like, it's okay. I, <laughs> I'm not fine. I just, I didn't, I didn't want just your dog. Just the dog. Run. I immediately changed it to, I didn't want your dog running into the street. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> Ten seconds before, get out of here! Go! Get out of here! If I could no, find no. that owner, I'd give him a piece of my mind. Where is Good it? Lord. Where is this? Probably some big meathead with this dog. I'm, I'm in rage. I, oh, <laughs> oh, you know what, ma'am? I just thought maybe your dog would be. I thought he was going to run into the street. Yeah, beautiful yeah, dog. What, what kind dog is it? <laughs> oh, okay. I'll, I'll talk to you later. <laughs> Come on, Dottie. <laughs> I love, 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 love.
bacon, 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 sausage, if you know what I mean.